Hello and welcome to the Comparing Notes podcast. My name is Andy and I'm here with my co-hosts Ryan and Glenn. And we are three ordinary pastors from three different generations talking about life and ministry, uh, hopefully to encourage other pastors, leaders uh, around and help them to think through what does it mean to uh, do ministry in this generation. Guys, we always start off with a question to kind of expose uh, our differences and uh, our different uh, frames of reference. And so the question I have for you today is asking, what was your earliest ministry memory? So um, what what ministry memory do you have um, maybe doing it as a youth? Um, I know all of us have uh, have been in ministry for a long time, been done a lot of different things, but what's the earliest mem- memory of ministry that you have? Well, since I'm the oldest, I have a lot more pages to turn to get back there. So <laughs> I'll go first. I yeah, got right. I got the fewest. Um, I was in I was in student ministries. I don't know when it was uh, in that career, but it, I um, I did at this point have a desire to go into ministry. So my youth pastor at the time was gracious and allowed and was and was training me to do various ministry things. I, I, I was leading worship at times. But the thing that sticks out in my mind is I had an opportunity to teach. And it was one Wednesday evening at youth group. And there's two things that happened on this particular lesson. And I want to say it was like the absolute worst lesson that I've ever taught, or I hope it's the worst lesson. I've bombed a couple others in the past, but I think this is the worst one. Because I was teaching out of the book of Colossians, but I didn't know how to say Colossae. So every time that I had to like talk about the city, I would be like, the the city that the book of Colossians is written to. That was the first time. And in the middle of this message, I like totally lost track of what I was, where I was going, what I was saying. And so out of desperation, middle of like middle of a sentence, middle of the sermon, I was like, we should pray. And just stopped and prayed again. And my thought was like, let me just reset, start again. And I mean, I, I, in the sense I owned it, I was like, I don't know what I was saying. I don't know what I'm doing. It was, it was, oh, it, it was terrible. This it, it was terrible. But that's the earliest memory. It started wow. rough. That's a, that's a bit of trauma to start out. <laughs> well, Ministry's trauma, right? Yeah. I'll, I'll go next. Uh, you know, I think I've mentioned this before, but I grew up in a pastor's family. Um, and so my earliest ministry memory, um, and maybe this is stretching the question a little bit, but we used to go and do nursing home services. And uh, and I don't know how many people do that anymore, but we would go, I think it was usually on a Sunday afternoon, um, go and do a service. We'd gather people up. We'd sing some songs. My dad would preach a message. Um, and I remember a few of those as an elementary school kid because I was usually forced to stand in the front and sing with my parents. Um, one of the the um, things that stands out to me, I talk about trauma or being traumatized. I remember walking out of the nursing home and there were a bunch of people gathered around watching a TV um, as we were leaving. And they were watching some like horror film where somebody had been shrunken and got stuck in a spider's web and was about to get eaten by a, by a spider. And I don't know why that sticks in my head, but that's a, that's one of my earliest min- ministry memories is there ministering in the nursing home. How about you, Glenn? Yeah. The, the, the trauma of, uh, of those early days. So I was six months as a, uh, as a new, as a, as a believer. Uh, I had just graduated from high school. I was on my way with uh, three of my buddies to Dallas, Texas, where we attended Explo 72. 
where we learned, uh, uh, it was put on by Campus Crusade for Christ. We learned how to share our faith. We learned what life was, uh, uh, you know, be about the, the Great Commission. So we came back to our hometown and, uh, and my friends uh, got invited to, and they added me, uh, into one of the local churches. And they knew that I was shy, scared to death to speak in front of people, but they wanted my participation. So they just gave me three simple verses to read. John 3.16, Ephesians 2.8 and 9, and Revelation 3.20. <clears throat> I, I did pretty well on, on John 3.16. Uh, I read just Ephesians 2, 8, not 9, and I began to read uh, Revelation 3.19 instead of 3.20 when I realized it was the wrong verse. I closed the Bible, went down off the platform, and walked out of the, walked out of the church and left <laughs> my two guys behind to pick up the pieces, to which they never, ever have said anything about that time uh, to me. So, uh, yeah, earliest memory of uh, ministry. Well, I guess ministry does begin in trauma, or at least has a trauma component to it. That was just a good question, Andy. That was, man. <laughs> so I, I want to have a little bit of a discussion, maybe even an argument with you guys about uh, something I've thought about for a long time and uh, something I may have a different approach to than other folks have. Um, you know, we all live in, in and minister in the South, and especially in a Baptist culture, there seems like there is a lot of discussion around a call to ministry. Um, sometimes I've even been asked uh, in different contexts of how were you called into the ministry? And I'll be honest, I don't have a good answer at certain times to that question. Um, when I think about it biblically, uh, I, I think um, a lot of times people think of maybe a couple different incidents in Scripture, maybe Isaiah 6, where Isaiah has this vision before uh, God's throne where he is referred to as, you know, the holy, holy God, and he's looking for a messenger. Um, I think other people think about Paul on the Damascus Road, um, and Paul has this amazing conversion experience. Um, and yet, when I think about the way that we tend to talk about a call to ministry, I'm not sure it fits in either one of those categories. Um, and I, I think Oftentimes people are asking us for what kind of dramatic experience or maybe traumatic experience based on our question, <laughs> let us, uh, let us into this field. And I, I just don't know that I see a scriptural warrant for this kind of idea that we talk about of a call to ministry in the way that it's kind of in a, in a modern parlance in the way that we talk about it. Um, we can talk about how, do, how does somebody get to ministry? I think we can talk about um, how does somebody get confirmed to or ordained or um, kind of placed into ministry based on their gifts and their the people around them. We can talk about that. I think that's in scripture. But I'd, just, I'd be interested to hear from you guys. When you hear the term call to ministry, A, what kind of questions have you been asked? And what, what generally do you think people are asking you, or what, what do you think that they mean when they ask you that question? And have Glenn. you been called into ministry? Maybe that's a, maybe that's a good question. <laughs> oh, my. I, I do use the term, uh, I think. Um, uh, and, and others, you know, certainly I've heard others use it. And, and I don't take it. Uh, uh, this is a good question, Andy. Um, 
to me, to me, the calling is, did Jesus call the disciples into ministry? Um, was, uh, you mentioned the apostle Paul, was he, was he called into the ministry to the Gentiles? Uh, Peter, was he called into that, that period of, of when he, uh, went and followed up with Cornelius? Um, you know, to me, those were all calls in the sense that, that Jesus that's what Jesus had for them. That's what he invited them into and they responded to. Uh, was it a phone call uh, or whatever? But there was communication that took place. So I just think of a calling as, as a, I guess I don't try to overthink it. There's some sort of communication that took place um, that I think that goes to all believers as to the kind of life that God wants us to lead. I think that's the easy part. He wants us to be on mission, missionaries, Great Commission, Acts 1-8, Second Corinthians 5, those kinds of things. So I think to me, that's where the calling starts, or that's where the invitation comes to join him on this plan that he has for us. It's the how of that calling. So does that mean going into full-time vocational ministry work? Does that mean going to a call to go specifically to a particular city and to be a, a part of a particular type of ministry? Uh, that's more harder to discern. But I'll leave it at that for now. Ryan, where does your mind go? Yeah, I, I think Andy, the it's a really good question, and um, the it's interesting. On our last podcast, John mentioned how do you keep going to you know struggling with um, justice issues, and he says, well, you know, motivation runs out, and then calling kicks in, and so I, I I'm not there is a there in in one sense there is a calling. Um, that I have to look to because if there's not a calling, the three of us are crazy for doing what we do. Frankly, it's like there's easier jobs out there. So what, like, what compels us? There's that calling. But I think that I, I have received that. Um, and back to your question, I have received that that question of what was my calling like in the ministry, and I think it's a similar question when we ask somebody for their testimony, and. In one respect, what we're asking for is tell us about the amazing transformation that Christ has done in your life where you were once a drug dealer and now you're not. Um, and there can be this almost judging of I was this and now I'm and, and, and now I'm not. And, you know, as a somebody who grew up in the church, it's like God was always a part of my life. So there was never that moment when it's when there there was that regeneration moment where I went from being dead to alive, not not seeing God to seeing God. I mean, and I, I definitely had that that like revealing moment, but God was always part of my life. So it's like, I, I was never a drug dealer. I've never killed anyone. I've never, I didn't sneak out of my house. Like I didn't have that amazing transformative story that when people ask, what's your testimony they're looking for? I think it's similar to even being a pastor. What's that, um, you know, mountaintop experience when you, when you realize this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. And that happens with some people. So that's not to say that that those moments aren't real. Um, I just don't, I think if we only look at callings as those mountaintop experiences, we, we do negate the normal everyday calling. Um, and Glenn, I love where you took it. And this is where I was going as well of, you know, what's interesting is in the old Testament, you see, there's this calling to be a prophet. There's a calling to be a priest, but in the new Testament, we're a kingdom of priests and we're a royal priesthood. And a people for God's own choosing. I mean, that calling has not has been taken from the specific to everyone. So regardless of how you came to faith, everyone has that 
command to go and make to to make disciples. It was given to the disciples, but the disciples' commission was to go and make other disciples that are going to be disciple making. So we all have that call. Um, now I'm just rambling. Uh, so yeah, I'll stop there. It's good rambling. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess what I'd want to think about or want us to kind of process is what I would call the objective versus the subjective. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think a lot of people are act, asking for the subjective, the subjective question. What did you feel? What did you experience? What, what, you know, did God show up and did he talk to you? Did, you know, what, what happened um, in, in those? And I'm not going to deny that some people have those kind of things, but I'm not quite sure that I can find in scripture that that's a normative reality for most people. Whereas I think we often underplay or don't think about what I would call the objective. Um, you know, how is someone gifted? Where, what experiences have they had? Um, when I think about my call to ministry, my call to ministry, and again, we've talked about personalities on this, on this podcast before, but maybe this lends to my personality a little bit. I think of it very objectively. When I made the decision to go into ministry, it was a calculated decision that looked at what experiences that I had from my family. Where did I come from? What were my passions? What did I think my gifts were? Or where did I think those gifts could be developed? And that basically helped me make the decision. Now, did I question that decision along the way? Sure. Where is it difficult? Have I, have I looked back at those things? Yes. Um, but then you add on to that what I think is biblical, where um, you may not see ordination councils, or but you do see a sense where the church or the collective leadership of a church comes together and affirms and encourages and um, really kind of pushes along, especially young leaders, I think, in affirming and helping those gifts. Um, and But all of those things are objective. So when you guys think about that subject, subjective versus objective, do you think I'm out of line? Do you think that's helpful? Do you think that's personality? What do you guys think? I think that's very helpful. <clears throat> and, and that really rings true with my, with my experience. It, again, going back to our, the guest our, our last time, John talked about living at the intersection. Well, I think there's an intersection here, too, of that objectivity and subjectivity. Um, you know, what led me into the ministry? Calculus. It's the one class that I quit that I just that I didn't finish. There's just no way uh, at that point that I knew that I was going to be the engineer that my brothers uh, were and that my dad wanted because my head just wasn't wired that way. But at the same time, I was a young Christian wanting to to follow in the tracks that he wanted me to. But still, so I had my earthly father on the one hand, heavenly father on the other. Both have designs for my life. I'm trying to sort it out, uh, and and I vividly remember. Uh, walking out of calculus class that last time halfway through and saying, you know, it's the humanities for me. And, uh, um, and so that was one step um, uh, in going that way. I also just remember that, that uh, though my, my head wasn't wired for that, uh, my heart and my head, I'd like to think, were wired for other things. And that became obvious with more experiences that I had, the more I interacted with people, the more I got to know myself. And then it's just a matter of, 
of I want to be obedient to what I'm learning about God and his word and what he, he asks of us. And I want to be aware of, of who I'm seeing myself to become and, uh, and the passions that I'm finding that are rising up as I'm spending time with God's people and in his word and so forth and so on. And so to me, it was like a, it was like a, a spiraling, whether up or down, where it just became more, more refined and defined as to the kinds of things that I felt would please God that I would be about. Mm. And, uh, as I wanted to obey him. I, I, I think one of the kind of with that subjective objective reality, we like to tie our calling to our employment. So when we talk about calling, what we're really asking is how did you know that you want to be employed full-time by a ministry church mm -hmm. or, or prayer church otherwise? And I know from in, in our context, and I know it's similar in other contexts, one of the major debates we have with, with the congregate members is that the pastor is not the primary ministry doer. The churches, the pastor is the equipper, you know, Ephesians 4, it's the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. But when we equate call, we equate that with when did, when were you called to do the ministry that I don't want to do? Um, and But it's also interesting to see how we equate this call with employment. Therefore, when a pastor, when, when an individual who is, is employed by a ministry, therefore is called a ministry reaches a point in their life when they no longer want to be employed or can't be employed by that ministry, there's this crisis of identity because then they think I'm losing my call because I'm no longer going to be formally or, you know, employed by a church or ministry. But if you're called to ministry, it doesn't matter where your employment comes from. It doesn't matter whether you're bivocational or full-time, the calling is a calling outside of employment. Hmm. Is I called to take care of my kids? Am I called to be a good husband? Am I called to maybe even leave vocational ministry to move somewhere, get another job to take care of aging parents? Um, in a sense, if I want to be obedient to, to those commands and the circumstances uh, call for that, then I guess in a sense I'm called to, to make that move. Again, it's that sorting out yeah. at, the, at that intersection. It's just interesting the way that, and again, this is maybe less biblical language and more evangelical, you know, stuff that we've we've added to it, and even using that terminology. You know, I've had people come, come and leave the church, uh, our church locally here, and say, "Well, I'm called here. I'm called to go someplace else." And you begin to ask the question, "Well, what does that mean, or what does that look like, or how do you know that?" And it really boils down to, I want to um, do this versus, you know, trying to seek to be obedient um, or seeking to, to, you know, really carry something out that you feel that you can point to in Scripture. I want to throw one other wrinkle in here and have you guys think about this a little bit. And maybe this goes opposite of, maybe, of some of the things I've been saying, um, but, uh, but I'm interested in hearing your, your discussion of this as well. When you think about calling a ministry, I said earlier, some of it for me is objective where you hear from people and you um, people affirm the gifts that you have. Um, you do ministry, you're affirmed, encouraged, uh, hopefully discipled in that ministry. Um, but I've also had the experience on the opposite side 
where um, I, I've been told in different places and in different times, like you shouldn't teach, like you you don't have the ability or the gifts to do this, or you are not good at ministry or those kind of things. And yet I've continued and worked at some of those things that I'm not good at. Hopefully I, I am better than what I was. Um, maybe I went from a, from a two to a three on a tenant scale. Um, but speak to that maybe a little bit too. Maybe that I'm thinking specifically of, of that young leader or that young pastor who's trying to sort through here I am. I think this is what God wants me to do. I'm here ministering to people or I'm here leading these people. And yet I'm also hearing these voices or I'm having inputs at times of, uh, that this is not working or I'm not doing well at this. How would you encourage that person? Well, I mean, so, when is there, sorry, when is there a moment when it's bad to, let's assume it's full-time, full-time serve the Lord. I mean, outside of being disqualified for a sin issue, you might have an uphill battle on some things, but let's be real. It's somebody serving the Lord full time with their life. If they, if there's something on their heart that compels them to do that, who are we to say you shouldn't at the same time? I know like there was even guys in seminary. There's one in particular that I'm thinking about where went through seminary and got trained and, and the, the counsel around the table was love your passion. Maybe bivocational is best. But that still is not a questioning of calling. That's just a questioning of ability. Um, yeah, the church can be a brutal place. I guess that's my 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 main thought, where people can love to stomp on dreams. Yeah, the left shoulder, right shoulder. Um, you know who's sitting on who's standing on each shoulder, shouting into your ear with those different voices, and who you're going to listen to. Um, Everyone faces those those moments. I think our profession we have we have uh, uh, we are especially challenged in that particular way. And I think that's where, as the younger pastor, that uh, that might hear those voices louder and uh, is maybe less discerning yet as to uh, as to where to give his attention. Um, it can really throw you. And and this is where you know that that stake in the ground or that quote unquote calling uh, that got you to this place. Um, is it enough to keep you at that place? Um, and uh, maybe, maybe what that calling was, what was what you wanted rather than what you actually heard from the Lord, or maybe you just need to realize, no, I heard from the Lord this I'm staying. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we can't help, but, but hear those voices and be in position to have to sort them out and, and, and just learn. And that's how we mature in that tension, in that struggle to, to say, well, who, whose voice am I getting to hear and to, to recognize God's voice um, amongst all the others um, and then give, uh, and give that voice allegiance uh, rather than the others. But it's yeah. not easy. Yeah, I mean, I, when I think about that question, to me, it comes back to two things. One, those people that are are making those statements have some 
paradigm or some picture that they think of or that they, um, you know, that most, most of the time they have, they have a hero that they're looking at and saying, that is, that is what ministry looks like. And when you don't meet that picture, which you inevitably will not, then they will come to you and go, well, you can't do this, or you don't do this as well as so-and-so, or you don't look like this, or you don't sound like this, or you don't speak like so-and-so. Um, and so I think recognizing that, that any of those people are coming with a certain paradigm and saying, okay, what, what is it that they have been influenced by? And then I think secondly, especially for a young leader, is asking the question, what is it that I have to learn here? Because the other thing that I've seen happen sometimes is that, and I felt in my own heart and life and ministry, is I bow up my back and, and go in the opposite direction and go, that person's an idiot. I don't want to hear anything from them. I don't want to learn anything from them. They don't know what they're talking about. They have unrealistic expectations when they really need to tell me, you know what, you preached on Sunday and you just weren't clear. And you need to work on your clarity. Now, that's oftentimes hard to hear. And oftentimes it's, it's given to you with a bunch of thorns. And so you have to try to pick out the roses in the middle of the thorns, which is extremely difficult sometimes and very personal other times. Um, but I think, it's a, I think it's a good exercise and a, a painful but good exercise for a young leader especially uh, to work through. I also think you're pointing out, though, that calling and perfection don't go together. Mm. And when you when you look at everybody else in Scripture except Jesus, they are a train wreck at some point. Mm. I'm just I was thinking you started with the prophets and just those miraculous calls. I mean, you've got Jonah who ran the other direction and who didn't and who doubted God and questioned God's grace at through the very end. You had Moses who immediately was like, I can't. I'm I'm a terrible speaker, so you know people were standing over his shoulder, going, "Can you say that better?" I mean, you've got David who fell on his face, but then you go to the disciples, and I mean, what what are the disciples known for if not that every single one of them at some point was an idiot and had to and had to be corrected by God or each other, and so we can think of this calling as perfection, and I think even people congregant members who might not be in full-time ministry can think of, oh, well, if you're called to ministry, you're never going to have, never going to make a mistake, never going to have a scandal, even using the worst of terms, um, always going to be perfect and re not realizing that every single person is a broken vessel used by God. Mm -hmm. And that's the distinction is that in the brokenness, we see, oh, God's the only hope we have because the worst place somebody could be in is trusting in the abilities of the of their leader instead of their, of, of the leader's weaknesses and the abilities of their savior. Yeah. It makes me think so much of Peter, you know, if we look at Peter in the gospels, he's, he's, he's outspoken, you know, leader and, and someone who I think Jesus even points to is going to, is going to be the leader of the disciples ends up denying Christ. God, or Jesus restores him. He comes and he preaches at Pentecost and there's this amazing, you know, uh, revival that happens at Pentecost. And yet even Peter, like fast forward now a few years and let's get to the book of Galatians. Mm -hmm. And Peter's having a problem. 
mm-hmm. you know, he's, he's, you know, as, as Paul is even pounding on the table, you know, confronting Peter. So I, I think that's a good, you know, a great distinction of calling and perfection are not, not the same. And, uh, the need to express and look at our dependence on Christ in the midst of this, I think is so important. Yeah. Well, any final words, gentlemen? I have a final question for you two. And it's on the same lines of calling as John said, the last podcast, and as we all know, ministry is tough and motivation can, can run out. So when motivation runs out and when ministry becomes tough and when the sheep bite and when sin rears its ugly head, both in our lives and, and in, in the world, what keeps you guys going being in this, being employed in this way? What keeps you going as a pastor? Because you know we're crazy doing this, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just I, I, I'm, I'm pausing here just because it's, there's just nothing else I'd rather be about, even in the toughest of days. Um, uh, what we're talking about and what we get the privilege of dealing with are, are eternal, transformational, significant things. And I've seen too much and have, have uh, enjoyed too much of a transformed life of what God has done in my own life and that I want to continue to see that done for me and for others that, that uh, yeah, I'll screw up. But, man, I'd rather screw up on his team doing his stuff or trying to do it my best than do something else. And Hey, I can't fall back on calculus. So I've just got to, this is, this is what it, it is. <laughs> no, I wouldn't want to do anything else. It's just hard for me to even fathom doing something else or being about something different. I think Andy froze. <laughs> he froze. So Ryan, take us out here, man. This is a really good discussion and I'm sorry he froze because he, he led us in something that's, uh, uh, Oh, that was just too good to, to well, we're having together. Some, we're having some internet issues, but we're going to close out this podcast. Glenn, I, man, I just echo everything you said. Um, if there's one calling that keeps me going, it's that. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for listening to the Comparing Notes podcast. This has been three generations of pastors comparing notes on life and ministry. I hope that you were encouraged by this conversation as much as I was. And we'll see you next time on Comparing Notes. Thank you for listening to the Comparing Notes podcast. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so by emailing us at comparingnotes at gmail.com. 